Good morning and welcome to the River of Life Sunday Morning Podcast. If you're local to Wakulla County, we'd love to see you and worship with you in person. Our Sunday morning services begin at 9 and 11 o'clock. May God bless you and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Good morning, River of Life. Let's give our praise team one more hand. Amen. Aren't you thankful for them leading us in worship? If you would please this morning for just a moment, take your Bible to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And I was thinking about this. Uh, when some of us die, you know, we, we like to pass our Bibles on to our children and our grandchildren. And, and that's wonderful. That's a great tradition. But I'm afraid in the days to come, when we pass on our Bible to our kids, we're going to do this. Isn't it great that we have this electronic stuff and it's wonderful and I praise God for it. But every once in a while, don't you just like to open the pages of this? Just to walk through the garden that God has given us in his written word. What a blessing. Well, it's an honor to be back here at the River of Life. And uh, I'm excited about preaching what God has placed upon my heart for this day and hour in which we are living. And I'm extremely thankful for the privilege that Pastor Henry gives me to come and preach for y'all. There are a lot of pastors around this country that are jealous of their pulpit. And you know that. And uh, maybe I was one at one time. But I'm so thankful for the man of God that God has given us to lead this church in this day. And uh, he's my friend, and I, I enjoy being around him. All right, now you've got your Bible, Nehemiah chapter number one, Nehemiah chapter number one, and beginning in verse number one. The Bible says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu in the 20th year, as I sat in Shushan, the palace. Now, I just want to say a word here about Nehemiah. Seventy years of captivity have been accomplished. Nehemiah, since the time that the decree has gone forward, has sat in the palace for 14 years. Eighty-four years have been accomplished since Babylon was allowed to come and to get Jerusalem and take them into captivity. By all accounts, Nehemiah has never seen Jerusalem. He was probably born into captivity. Verse number two. That Hananiah, one of my brethren, some accounts say it was actually his own brother. He came and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity concerning Jerusalem. A decree had come over 84 years ago. You can go back. You can rebuild the city. But some had not gone. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the providence are in Great affliction and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So here we have the man of God, and we see him. He is not a preacher. He is not an elder. He's not a deacon. He is a cupbearer, and uh, he is working in a foreign land. He is serving a king that is really not his king, and he gets this report from Jerusalem. Now, you understand that because he is a Jew, he has been saturated with the history of the Jewish people. He has been told about this great uh, temple that Solomon has built and now has been destroyed. He has been told about the wondrous gardens of Jerusalem. He's been told about the wonderful, magnificent gates that hang in Jerusalem where the word of God was actually carved into the gates. And now the report comes. 
the walls were all broken down. The walls spoke not only of the protection of the city, but it also spoke of the honor of the city. The report is that the gates are all burned. The gates not only spoke of protection, but there upon those beautiful, magnificent gates was inscribed the Word of God. And basically the report that Nehemiah is getting, there's no honor in Jerusalem anymore. And the Word of God has disappeared from the city. Ezra would return in the book of Ezra, and he would tell us that when he got to Jerusalem, he found Jerusalem in a total chaos. God had instructed his people about a certain way to live and a certain way to do things, and they had chosen, rather than to obey God, even though they were coming out of captivity, and God had allowed them the privilege of going back, Rather than following the dictates of God, they had intermarried with the pagans. If you had been there that day, you might have asked them, well, why did you do that? And the answer would have been very familiar. Because that's what we wanted to do. And dear friend, that choice is being made all over this world. There is the choice of what God said and the choice of what I want to do. And most of the time, unfortunately for our nation, we are choosing what we want over what God has said. Fourteen years this decree had gone forth. You can go back to Jerusalem. You can go back to the city of God. And yet most of the people had not gone. Why? Are you ready? They had gotten used to living in Babylon. When faced with the choice of going to a harsh land and rebuilding a nation for the glory of God or just staying where you are and being comfortable with what's going on in your life, they chose to stay where they were. Can I tell you that even today, if you're not careful, as a born-again child of God, you're just sojourning here. You're just traveling through. But if you're not careful, you can get awful comfortable living in Babylon. Those things that are despised, those things that are rejected have now become commonplace in our life. They knew that what they were doing were wrong. Yet the flesh wanted what the flesh wanted, regardless of what God said. Now, Nehemiah is just one man. And what can one man do when he looks at his world and his world is in a mess? When Nehemiah heard this report, he could not go on as if all things were, were, were copacetic, that, it, that everything was going along just exactly like it should. When he heard this report, it affected his life. When we read and hear of the sin of our world, our nation, our country... It ought to affect us. We live in a world that's in a mess. Do you understand that? Do you understand that that divorce is rampant? And when people talk about marriage, they're talking about something for many people that is of a bygone day. 
When we talk about the, the funding of abortions, killing babies in their mother's wombs. I was reading the news the other day and they were talking about the people that had died of the virus and the people that had died in the rioting. Do you understand that if you combine those numbers, that they would pale into insignificance when compared to the number of babies that we are killing every day in America? Oh, dear friend, our world is in a mess. We're celebrating celebrities that have no morals. We're promoting our children to set their goals and their aspirations on the godless wealth of this world that will pass away. We have lost all moral boundaries. Homosexuality, uh, transgender, uh, worshiping the idols of riches at all expense is commonplace in America. Adrian Rogers, the great preacher of a bygone year in 2004, think of this, 16 years ago, he made this statement. He said, our families have no foundation. Our pews and our pulpits have no principle. And our government is godless. 16 years has not made us any better. Our world is in a mess. The actions of the last few days are but of an indication Of what happens when man rejects God. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 32. The word of God says that God reaches out to man. But if man continually rejects God. If man continually goes after his own way. If man continually chooses his way above God's way. Then ultimately God turns that man over to a reprobate mind. To do those things which are inconvenient. Now when a man views our world. There are two responses that can be made. First and foremost, he can do nothing. He can just keep on going. Amen. They stopped a fellow the other day and kind of one of those street poles things. They shoved a microphone in his face and said, sir, what's wrong with America? And the guy just kind of brushed him off and said, I don't know what I don't care. And the announcer said, you're absolutely right. Ignorance and apathy is destroying our nation. And then secondly, a man can not only choose just to continue on, but a man can choose, thank God, to go back to a day when his world wasn't messed up. And if you want a good biblical term for that, it's called repentance. It's going back to when God was on the throne and ruling and reigning. And I believe that God expects the church to do much more than just sit on a pew waiting for Jesus. Somebody say amen right there. <laughs> Nehemiah's day, because of the sin, Israel and Judah had gone into captivity. The once mighty nation, blessed of God, ruler of the world, had fallen because of sinfulness. And God tells us in his word, Romans chapter 14, verse number 5, Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 11, that we are to study what God did in the Old Testament because what God has done, God will do. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. So what did Nehemiah do? Well, there are several things I want to point out to you this morning in the way of a message. First and foremost, when Nehemiah got to this report from the far country, the first thing that happened is that it interrupted his routine. Amen. Nehemiah went to war. You've got your Bible. You can look there in verses four and five. He could not hear this report and go on as if all things were fine. He stopped doing what he had been doing. 
He's literally saying, I may not go forward, but I will not go backwards. Enough is enough. And so you've got your Bible, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse number 4. The Bible says it came to pass that when I heard these words, that I sat down, listen to this, and I wept. How long has it been since you listened to the news and you heard about the killings in Chicago and you heard about the, the, the vile wickedness that's parading itself in the great cities of this country, Atlanta and St. Louis and others? And you even heard about what's going on in your capital city of Tallahassee. And you sat down and you wept because of the sinfulness of your nation. The Bible says he wept and he mourned certain days. He fasted, he prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven. Listen to this. The great and terrible God. (laughs) Do you see him like that? Do you see him as a God of judgment with a sickle in his hand about ready to to unleash the wrath of the God upon a godless nation? I'm afraid our society and I'm afraid that our pulpits have taught us so much the love of God and the sweetness of God and the joy of God that we've abandoned the idea that all men will one day be called into account and that judgment does begin at the house of God. The Bible goes further. It says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, listen to this, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. He wept, he mourned, he prayed, he fasted. His burden was so great that that, that this prayer and this fasting lasted for several days, so much so that it began to affect his appearance. You've got your Bible. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan. Several months have passed now. In the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now before, I had not been sad in his presence. Verse number 2. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing that thou art not sick? This is nothing but a sorrow of heart. Oh, dear friend, how long has it been since we got so serious about getting before God that it began to affect our outward appearance? That we weeped and we prayed until literally our eyes had bags under them. And we cried out to God, hey, some of us, we, we could use a few days of fasting, Amen. But not to the point of just losing weight. To the point of getting a hold of the Almighty God. Who's still available. Who's still there. Why did Nehemiah go to this great deal of praying? Why did Nehemiah bow on his face before God? Why did he weep and why did he mourn? He did it because he believed in a God who could. Do you believe That God can resurrect this nation. Do you believe that God can destroy this virus? Do you really believe that if we turned it over to God, that God would intercede for his people and do that which is exceedingly abounding above all that we believe? Do you believe in God? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6 has become a great verse. And you've heard part of this verse so many times. But I want you to read it in its entirety. 
Your Bible says, Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 11, but out without faith, it's impossible to please God. And most of the time, that's where we stop. But oh, dear friend, look at the le- second part of the verse. There's two great truths here. The first one is this. The Bible says, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Do you truly believe that he is? Do you believe that he is omnipotent? Do you believe that all power reigns and rules with him? Do you believe that there's no force upon this earth that can overcome our God? Do you really believe that if we got serious with God, God would get serious with us? And then the Bible says the second great truth, Hebrews 11 and verse number 6, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Oh, we're not talking about a little two-minute prayer, thanking God for the tomatoes and the okra and the, the cucumbers. I'm talking about diligently seeking God. When, when He becomes the priority in our life, when all we can do is think about praying to Him, when we go to sleep at night and there's a prayer upon our mind, and when we wake up in the morning, we're still praying that same prayer. When God becomes so real in our life that we believe that He is able to do all this, The realization of the situation was that it was to get any better. It would be because of God's intercession. His power is not grown weak. It's not demise. His strength has not been abated by time. He is still God and beside him there is no other. And he is able. It interrupted his routine. Secondly... It invoked his repentance. You've got your Bible. Verse number 6. The Bible says, Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant. Did you ever think about God having his eyes closed? Did you ever think about God looking at our situation? After all, he's blessed us and done for us, even the giving of his son, that we might have life. And this is what we've done with it. And and so the Bible says that Nehemiah prayed. And he said, oh God, open your eyes upon your people one more time. Listen to what he says. That you may hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night. For the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess their sins, the children of Israel, which, notice this, we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house has sinned. Nehemiah was one of those who hadn't gone back. And he's confessing it before God. I should have already been doing something, but I haven't. But from this point on, I'm repenting of that, Lord. The one and only thing God accepts for sin is repentance. No excuses. Nehemiah confessed that he was a part of the problem. Renewed fellowship with God. Renewed power with God. Begins with a broken and a contrite heart. You know the scriptures. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people... Not the people in Washington, not the people in New York, not if my people right here in Wakulla County and River of Life, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Oh, Lord, I'm telling you, I know, I, listen, I know Christians that can strut sitting down. Can I get an amen right there? Oh, listen, we need to humble ourselves before God. 
We need to, need to cry out to God and turn from our sin and pray and say, Oh God, if you don't move, nothing's going to happen. And then the Bible says that God, He'll hear from heaven. Thank God He forgives our sin. He cleanses us. Though our sins be as scarlet, He'll wash us whiter than snow. And then He heals our land. Proverbs 14, 34, the Bible says righteousness. Listen, righteousness exalts the nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Again, Psalms chapter 9, verse number 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell. Listen, and the nations that forget God. So it interrupted his routine. He couldn't hear the report and keep on going as he had always done. Secondly, it, it, it invoked his repentance. But thirdly, It illuminated in his heart a need to get before the great God of glory. Look at verse number 10, if you will, this morning. Lord, I beseech thee. Literally, Lord, I beg thee. Let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. And I pray thee, listen here. He says, Lord, we're praying. We are your servants. We desire to fear your name. We desire, Lord, to prosper. I pray thee, the servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Chapter 2, verse number 4. The Bible says, then the king said unto me, what dost thou make thou request? And so I prayed to the God of heaven. Chapter 2 and verse number 8, the Bible says, and the king granted me according to the good hand of God upon me. You want to know what will change this nation? <laughs> you take this group that we've got together here this morning. And those who are watching on the, on the YouTube. And you get, let them get right with God. Amen. I'm talking about get right with God. I'm talking about old fashioned Bible repentance where the, the, the revival of God's people begins to take place and the filling of the power of God wells up in the church of God and the people begin to be righteous and live righteous. I want to tell you that will begin to change the society in which you and I are living. When we Take God at his word and become light and become salt. God's people get serious about serving God. I like this and and I know that somebody's going to throw apples at me or oranges or rotten tomatoes. It's not in the King James. It's actually, I like the translation, the New Living Translation. I've been reading that because my pastor's been reading that. And... uh, I just probably lost about half my bookings right then. Just so. But Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven, the word of God says, I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is there anything too hard for me? We used to sing a song. He's got the whole world in his hands. You remember? And he can change anything. That's in his hands. I'm just a cupbearer. As I read the scripture, I see that it interrupted his routine. It invoked his repentance. It illuminated in his heart a need before God to get before God. And fourthly, it initiated an activity. The Bible says in chapter 2 and verse number 4, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make thy request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Verse number 5, and I said unto the king, you pray to God, and then you say unto the king, if it please the king, 
If thy servant has found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, what? That I may build it. Wow. Oh, Nehemiah had some hidden talents, evidently. I mean, all I knew about him was that he was a servant born in Babylon, raised up to be a cupbearer. But now he wants to go and get into the construction business. He wants to build the walls. He wants to repair the gates. He wants to see the honor return to the city. He wants to see the word of God manifested in his city. But he's just a cupbearer. But if that's all God's got to work with, God can work with that. Amen. I don't listen. These people all the time are telling me, my brother Bill, I'm just not qualified. Listen, God qualifies the available. Make yourself useful for God. Our families, our churches, our countries need rebuilding. We need an old-fashioned, heaven-said, Holy Ghost-powered revival. And if it won't come from the pulpit, let it come from the pew. I can't believe my time is gone already. Colossians, excuse me, Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15. The Bible says in 52 days. The work's completed. Fort, listen, 14 years, the walls have remained in rubble. But one man, a cupbearer, a servant in the palace, burdened by the great immensity of the sin of his people, Goes before God and said, God, I can't live like this anymore. And if nobody else will do anything, God, I need to do something. And the Bible says in a total of 52 days, the work was completed. There's a verse over in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 22 and verse number 30, where God is pouring out his wrath on Israel and Judah because of their great sin and because of their departing for God, from God. And the word of God says this, God doing the speaking. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and that should stand in the gap before me, that I should not destroy it. God said, I turned my searchlight on Israel. I turned my searchlight on the hearts of the people. And I began to search out. I, I really wasn't looking for a king. Wasn't, wasn't looking for a potentate. I wasn't looking for a, a, a man of valor or, or a great warrior. I was just looking for somebody that would stand up and say, if nobody else stands, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to make up the hedge. I'm going to believe that God is able to do what God said he could do. And yet the word of God said that when God searched it, he found no one. So the question, who among us, us, me included, are willing to have our daily routine turned upside down? Who among us are willing to go to spiritual war? Because of the condition of our world. And, and some of us, we've got a little bit of gray in our hair. We're saying, hey, preacher, I'm, it won't be long. I'll be graduated. But what about your children? What about your grandchildren? If the Lord tarries his coming, 
Would you not go to war for them? There was a quote, and it's in, in a book entitled The Democracy in America. And the author of the book was sent here from France to discover the greatness of America. And I share this with you in closing. He said, I sought for the greatness and the genius of America in our commodious harbors and our ample rivers, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in our fertile fields and in our boundless forest, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in our rich minds and in our vast world commerce, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and the genius of America in her Democratic con Congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. It was not until I went into the churches of America and I heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and her power. Listen, America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. In just a couple of weeks, our church, along with churches all over this nation, are going into a time of prayer. For the next two months following, leading up until September the 26th, we will be crying out to God to do that which only God can do. And that is to turn this nation around. To come back to him. To come back before our nation is gone. Dear friend, we don't have to wait for those two weeks for those prayer meetings to start. We can do that this morning. In fact, this altar is going to be open if you so desire to come and find your place here. Or your chair can become your altar this morning. As you pray before God, let, the, let this world do more than just be a thorn in your side. When you read of the conditions and the, the, the terrible wickedness of our world, let it interrupt your routine. Seek out in repentance. Oh God, I've been a part of the problem. I've been silent when I should have been preaching from the pulpits of my home my neighbors, my community. Oh, dear God, forgive our sin and heal our land.